This podcast is brought to you by AG3D Printing, which is a 3D printing service where we're looking to bring your ideas into reality. Now, if you're really just interested in 3D printing, you've, you've heard about it, you've seen some videos about it, and you really just would like to see what it's like, you can order a print from us. Uh, you can go to our website or on our 3D Hubs page and order a print right away. Our website is www.ag3d-printing.com. And we also have an Instagram at AG3D Printing where we show you guys what 3D printing is like. You know, um, If you're really interested, go check us out there. We do videos. We were just building a 3D printer. We're going to be calibrating it soon and, and, and introducing it into our fleet of 3D printers. Um, but if you're also an entrepreneur or someone who has an, a business idea, maybe you've got something you want to that's custom. Maybe it's a gift. Maybe it's something for around the house. Maybe it's a broken part that nobody makes anymore. All of those things are possible with AG3D Printing. Just um, email us at ag3d.engineering at gmail.com or just visit us at our website and we can do all of that for you. We're a full engineering service and we're looking to bring your ideas into reality. So check us out and if you also want to help support the podcast and you want it to be free, just do your shopping uh, on our Amazon link. Just click our link on this week's episode and do your shopping like you normally do. That's it. And it costs you nothing. And when you do your shopping, when you check out, Amazon sends us a little bit of the action for sending you there. So it's great. It's great. Online shopping is easy. You're doing it anyways, and you're helping support the show. So without further ado, let's get into this week. We are doing a topic this week. This week, uh, well, you'll find out in a second. And next week, we'll get into news. There's a lot to talk about. And we'll cover that then. But for this week, please enjoy. And thanks for listening. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the show. This week uh, is going to be a topic week. So, you know, in 2017, what I'm going to try and do here is kind of go back and forth between the the news and the technical side of space and then have another episode where we go over topics. And these can be about anything that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I feel relate to space and the space industry and just... <clears throat> eventually what the lifestyle would be if we lived in space, you know, it's just a, the entire smattering of, of the culture, space culture, I guess, is really what we're talking about here. So weeks like these, uh, we're going to go over topics, and this could be a bunch of things, whether it's, you know, we talk about black holes for 35 minutes, or if we talk about today, which is more like a philosophy, but it, it brings it all together in the end about how does this relate to space? So this week, what I want to do, it's something that I feel um, relates to a lot of the stuff that's going on today and how people are, are feeling about the world, but it's, it's how can engineering save the world? That's, that's what I, I'm, I'm hoping to, to, to share with you today from my perspective. And the reason I kind of brought this along is, you know, obviously with the transition for president-elect into president, there are a lot of people out there who are really focused on a mentality that's 
in my opinion, uh, just too based on too much emotion. It's not based on logic, and it's not focusing on the biggest issue, which is solving the problem, which is is what the engineer is bred to do, or or molded to do, or trained to do. You know, that's what the engineer is does to solve problems. So there's no better. There are no better agents to attack solving world's problems than engineers, but we we're not focusing on that and we're not focusing on a something just logic. So, uh, let's talk about people who, who do engineering, who have an engineering mindset and what does that do for, for humankind and, and how is that going to save the world? And so we'll talk about the bunch of issues that are going on that I see and how engineering can help. So to start, I think the, important thing to say about what the engineering spirit is, right? The engineering spirit is to solve the problem. And there's no, you know, if it's a true engineering spirit, the solution, what it is and how you came to it doesn't matter. It's the fact that you found it. It's the fact that you found a solution. So, you know, if you're in the true engineering spirit, there's no ego about, I want to do it this way, and I want to make sure we solve the problem this way. As long as we solve the problem, we solve the problem. And the best engineers and the best engineering spirit, they do it in the most simple way that is cost-effective. And, you know, the engineer wants to do things on, on as cheap as they can because it means they get to do more. And one of the biggest things that I see right now that we should be putting engineering and the engineering spirit into instead of this emotional thing is climate change. And I think climate change is, I've said this before in the show, it's become this emotional argument where reason no longer can even be brought into it because it's so emotional on both sides. I mean, you even have the scientific community and some other uh, at one time, I don't know if they still do it. I'm not going to say what show it was, but there's a pretty popular scientific show out there that the hosts and even the uh, comedian host that was on literally were making fun of people and calling them stupid for not believing in climate change. And if we start reducing ourselves to that childish level, that's how we argue something that at its core is trying to save the world and all of humankind, right? You reduce yourself to, compl- to, to basically calling them names, then it, you lost. Then the scientists lose because now we're not using logic anymore. We're, we're, this, is a, this is a pissing contest. And that's not going to solve any problems. So because it's an emotional argument right now, what my opinion is, is I think climate change, just like it moved from global warming to climate change, because global warming was not the proper uh, distinction of what the problem is, right? So it moved to climate change. But now climate change is, it's like rebranding a business. You know, it has a bad reputation. So rebrand it. Rebrand it. You already did it once. Rebrand it with a new outlook and a new direction 
where it's about solving the problem. What I would like to see is it's about solving the problem. It's about helping educate the individual who is dedicated enough to change their lifestyle to remove uh, and reduce the effects that are going to make climate change worse. Now, one of the things I want to preface before I go any further is that I, I really do believe that climate change is real. But it's also something innate in nature. It's something that happens naturally. The climate changes naturally. So for me, what I want to know is that we can definitively say that there is a correlation to human activity and regular climate change, natural climate change, which even natural climate change can be extreme. You know, we had an ice age, you know, and we had a period where a bunch of the sea levels rose extremely quickly. You know, so natural does not mean that it's, it's, you know, easygoing and flowing and it's a beautiful, bright day. That's not real nature. Real nature is dangerous and real nature is tornadoes. Real nature is jaguars jumping out of you from the forest and taking you out. Like nature is dangerous. So I understand the, the determination to solve this problem, that we need to, to figure out a solution to this climate change if we really are the problem. My issue is it's become this emotional argument where you can't even discuss the fact that some of the data is flawed. And some of the data, scientifically, if it were any other, if it were any other scientific adventure, uh, it was any other scientific venture, and say it was something that was trying to get published or peer-reviewed by the community, right? And they only had a few, maybe, uh, what is it, 100 years that climate change has data on? I'll verify that in a second. But if, if it's really only 100 years, you're talking about 100 years on the scale of, what, the time that humans have been alive, right? That's what you have to base it against, right? If we truly are the influence, right, we have to base it uh, against the entirety of the time on Earth. And if we look back and the Earth has gone through the same things and we didn't have an industrial age, then correlation doesn't prove causation. You know what I mean? And, and causation is a very dangerous place. It's like that analogy with uh, ice cream sales and crime. Does crime happen when more ice cream is bought? Or does buying more ice cream mean that there's going to be more crime? No, it's because that the, the logic there is that on sunny days, people are hot and agitated. And if they're in a bad spot and they need money and things are already not good and the, the, they have to be outside because they don't have air conditioning, there's going to be crime, right? But other people who don't have it as bad and are just outside and hot and have some spare change can go buy an ice cream cone. Both of those things happen on a hot day in the summer. But that doesn't mean that we have to start taxing ice cream cones because it needs to help pay for the damages that are happening 
or it has to pay to hopefully give people a chance to get out of poverty. Those are two different things that we're trying to solve that, you know, let's just solve the real problem, right? Forget about the ice cream cones. Let's solve the problem about crime, right? That's, 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 that's my whole argument with climate change is we need to look at this stuff and, and actually go after and solve the problem. And I do not think that taxes solve the problem. We need to incentivize alternative energies. They are a privilege at the moment. I've said this before on the show too. Alternative energy is a privilege. Only the rich and the people who have expended, uh, uh, expendable income can afford to get off the grid, to find alternative fuels, or to even invest in companies that are working on this technology. So taxing a big company is not going to help the people, the individual, the regular people, that it really this is all going to affect, right? Because the people with money are going to be able to find a way to survive because they have money. They'll be able to buy the means to survive. What about the rest of us? You know, what does taxing do for, for me, I want to get to a place, you know, before we get all political here, which we already have done, (laughs) um, what we need to do is, is, I feel like we should get to a place technologically where the, we have, we have buildings and, and cities are made in such a way that they are keeping the atmosphere at the proper level of carbon emissions, which is the whole thing behind the climate change, right? Is that we have too much carbon in the air, too much CO2, right? We have too much CO2 in the air, and what it's doing is heating up the earth, and it's creating these extreme weather conditions where because you're heating it up at one one area, you know, because of the law of thermodynamics, it needs to you know, it's gonna, that hot air now needs to move, uh, where it goes and, and the cold air circulates, which is going to create, if I'm understanding it correctly, this even colder, strong area. So it's now we're like, you know, we've now revved up this spinning top and it's, it's starting to do that thing at the end when the top starts, the, the, the spinning top starts to shake and it's going to do that rattling thing where it, it, it all goes crazy, you know, and that's, essentially what having what we think as the carbon levels rising too much the carbon emissions that if we reach a certain tipping point the whole top is going to spin over and topple over so i understand that i get that but we need to get to a point where the cities we we figure out what the right level is for humans to live on the planet so that we don't have extreme droughts and we don't have extreme uh rain that, that erodes the land and, and, and stuff like that, we find a place where the earth is in this perpetual state of self, um, self-sustaining uh, existence, you know, where we're actually helping the earth stay in this perpetual motion because that's kind of what the earth is. It's kind of a perpetual motion machine. I mean, that's because of its mass and its rotation. We have life. It's distance from the, from the sun. Uh, the fact that we had the right ingredients to, for life to begin and spring up and then thrive later, that's the climate, right? So 
if we can find a way technologically where our cities are no longer polluting, they're actually filtering the air, taking out excess carbon, figuring out what the right level is, and keeping it there. It's just like what they use with metallurgy, with, with different metals in the aerospace industry, right? Uh, the different metals that have been created for, for aerospace applications, for the military applications, you know, one of the reasons I don't remember what, I think it was the Cold War, but just bear with me. This is a story that a coworker who was a pilot told me, um, so I'm kind of picking it off, but the idea is, I think, relevant. So basically, you know, one of the reasons that we beat the Russians uh, in the air is because our metals were able to... Our, our special combinations of metals had different properties that allowed them to operate at hotter temperatures and faster speeds, which meant that our airplanes and our fighters flew faster and harder and better than theirs could simply because their metal could not handle the heat that we were putting in our systems. So, you know, figuring out the different types of, uh, what am I looking for here? Um, I'll think of the word, but, you know, the way the metals interconnect, you know, uh, to the different aluminums we've created, the aerospace aluminums that we've created have changed the entire way that we do things where, you know, you know, aluminum as being a very lightweight metal, but they've found these combinations of, of aluminum where they put titanium, they put nickel, they put all these different metals in at certain ingredients to make this final product that has extremely lightweight but extreme strength where they need it. So it's an engineered alloy, you know, and that's like we have a specific purpose. So why can't we find the ingredient for the atmosphere that allows us to uh, around the world so that California doesn't have these crazy droughts and they have, you know, a uh, once we technologically get to the point where we find a, a right zone, we find a right zone maybe for that area, Maybe that city has its own filtration system that makes it so that they have a healthy, consistent uh, rain cycle for the area that doesn't, you know, do detriment to the areas around it. Because if each city does it, it's going to have to be this crazy coordinated effort where, you know, we got to make sure that if we put uh, a lot of rain in California, it's not going to affect Montana and stuff like that. So it could get really complicated, but at least we're we're working at it. You know, maybe we find one level that works for the whole planet. Uh, that would be great. And then that way we can focus on better things, fix the problem and move on, right? This whole taxes thing and the demonizing of an element, an element, carbon, that we use in our plastics. We use it in so many of our operations uh, for for putting it back into the ground so that the soil uh, is, is fertile and, you know, it, it go, car, the carbon element goes through the cycle on the planet like it should be, right? If we can figure out a way to capitalize on that and take it out of the air and put it to where we're using it, then not only are we saving the world, we're putting money in our pockets, I mean, it doesn't get like that's where our focus should be. But if but it is it cannot the climate change argument cannot go there in my mind 
unless it's rebranded and relooked at. And we we take we take an honest look at it and we say, look, we fucked up. The tactic we tried to do to try and save the world didn't work. So we're gonna have to rethink this. But to deny, like, bring out all the facts, bring out, put the hard work in to actually figure out how to explain to people what, on an individual level, what can you and I, regular citizens, right? I asked myself that a bunch of times during the election cycle and during the last few years where clearly, I mean, we're we're all the same mindset that the world is not in a good place, right? So I don't know about you, but I kind of came to a calling. I'm like, okay, well, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? My my thing uh, that I've found is is to communicate science to to hopefully make it interesting so that people that don't necessarily find themselves smarter or didn't go to college who are just good people, regular people who are trying to figure out, all right, what is actually going on with Pluto? Like, you know, are are they really aliens? Like, you know, and not feel like it's this you're dumb, you don't get science or you know, you're stupid if you deny it or even question something that you don't know, which is climate change. I'm the first one to tell you, I don't know everything about climate change. I just, I do some reading and, and I, I try and form an opinion and then I try and challenge it by finding another view. And if it holds up, then I'm on the right path. If it doesn't, then clearly I haven't thought this through enough. You know, and I I go back to square one. That's the engineering mindset. And that's how engineering can change the world is, is always be questioning. You know, there's that, there's that sales line that every salesman will talk about, you know, always be closing, you know, your all, your focus is always at, um, how do I close the sale? Because that's what your job is as a salesman to close the sale, to get sales. Right. So it's it's ABCs always be closing. It's it's a mindset. Right. Well, the mindset of how I see the engineers, this could be different for different engineers. But in my experience, as someone who's done the theoretical, I went to college, I got my undergraduate uh, bachelor's of science in aerospace engineering. Right. So I've got the theoretical. I've also done the practical. I've worked over five years in manufacturing doing research and development. I own a 3D printing company that I'm essentially an engineer for hire. You know, you get an en- all the engineering services you would get at a company and you get it with one person and you get it personally for yourself, right? So that's what I'm that's what I'm offering. And the mindset for me is always be questioning. Always be questioning something that you just don't have enough knowledge for, it's fine to question if you don't have enough knowledge. That's totally fine. In fact, that's, isn't that, isn't that what asking questions in school is about? Raising your hand, right? I had a problem with that growing up. I did not ask questions for a very long time. And you know what? It wasn't until I started asking questions that I actually started excelling at things. Seriously. I mean, when I went into high school, um, I was very accelerated on my science level and on my math level, I, you know, I wasn't great, but you know, they didn't, uh, the teacher didn't, uh, put me in for accelerated math. So my guidance counselor said to me, well, you know what, you're going into freshman year. I don't want to put too much on you. I don't, I don't want to, uh, overload you. So you know what, uh, I don't want you to fall behind later on when you get up to, uh, pre-calc, which was like, could be 
junior year of high school, right? And he's like, oh, you know, I'm going to bring your science down. Instead of saying, you know, you have the option, you you could do it. It is a lot of work. You know, it's not going to be easy. But if you really like science, then you should do this. But instead, the advice that I got was that. In my mind, I said, oh, cool. School is going to be easy. And a month into that schedule, I realized that the people I were around didn't really have motivation to learn science. And so now I'm a kid who loves science and everyone around me is just kind of like, eh, you know, or some people were assholes, but very few. So most people were just like, okay, this is another class where I'm going to get yelled at and told I'm stupid, you know? And so that's, that's where I was. And I didn't like that. And nothing against the people. I just didn't want to be in that culture. So you know what I did? I kept asking some questions. Wasn't great at first. I just kept asking questions, especially in my math class, because I knew that's where, you know, in my mind, I had fucked up. You know, I wasn't smart enough. So I was asking questions in math and I was trying really hard. My math teacher saw the work that I was doing. And this is algebra one. So we're basically redoing what we did eighth grade year. So you can tell I could have been easily bored. I could have just been like, well, here we go again, you know. But instead, I was like, no, I, I, I don't want to be dumb. I don't want to, but like, I love science. I, I want to keep looking, getting into science. And my math teacher, uh, because I was number two in the class grade wise came to me, he goes, look, uh, my first and second best students, I always offer this up. And he was a young guy. He was probably my age, <laughs> 27, you know, twenties, late twenties. Um, been teaching for a few years for sure. Had some techniques. This was one of them. And he said, you know, the first, the number one and number two, you guys, uh, I will sign a piece of paper that will let you guys take both uh, geometry and algebra two at the same time, right? And so basically double up. And I was like, oh my God, like, I, yeah, I, I can't believe you think I can do that. Yeah, I would love to. And it was just the fact that he believed that I could do it was the fact that I believed that I could do it. That was like the beginning point of it. And I was like, well, great. Yeah, let's do it. You know, that's a great opportunity. And I remember talking to the girl who was number one. She was smart. She got better grades than I did. And she was like, no, I'm fine. I'd rather get, you know, 95s in these classes. And instead of getting Bs in the other class, which I mean, okay, I I can see that. But I was like, okay, peace. (laughs) And so that's what I did. So Sophomore year, I doubled up on geometry and uh, algebra two. And the next year, I did uh, doubled up on sciences, which was biology and chemistry, which was rough. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. It was chemistry and physics. Uh, chemistry, I've always had a problem with chemistry, mostly because I have a hard time visualizing what it is on the atomic level. I've never been able to have a good uh visual visual visualization and that's really important for me for learning um i would understand the dynamics better if i saw it uh but anyways uh physics was awesome and we had a really eccentric teacher uh it was just hilarious uh we gave him a hard time but uh that that was the start of it it was asking questions you know and 
I think that's super important. And I think it's one thing that's not looked upon today as a good thing. It's like, you're either on board or you're not. And it's like, well, no, there's a lot of other possibilities in that. I mean, that's like saying that it's possible that there's only one reality. No, it's possible there's a lot of them. And they're happening at the same time, infinitely. And there's no way we could conceptualize that ever. (laughs) Which I guess that actually would be a contradiction to what I just said. So it's something that's very difficult for us to comprehend. How about that? So that's what I see is the, 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 the mindset of it. So the, the other thing I want to jump into with this is the college culture and philosophy of engineering, because, uh, I went to college at a place that was only college students that were there taking engineering. Everyone there was being an engineer of some sort, even if they were a civil engineer, uh, which we always joked was the, uh, the slackers. Uh, no, that's, that's, I'm just kidding. You're not slackers. We were always jealous of how much easier you guys got your work done than we did because uh, I spent so many all-nighters with people. Uh, the, the, one of the best moments of being in that culture and in, in engineering that I will never forget were those nights when we were taking classes like compressible fluids where we're learning about shock diamonds and what happens to air around an aircraft when it's going so fast that it's breaking the sound barrier and, and it's compressing uh, the air around it. It just, just crazy, crazy things like that um, and compressible fluid systems, nuts. But so conceptually, you, your head would hurt every time you did homework because it was pushing you so far past where you were comfortable intellectually and where you sat where you in in the world of what you believed because you're learning how reality works and and how to manipulate it and how to solve a problem for it you know solve a problem for what happens to a a, a fighter uh an air uh, a jet fighter that is compressing the air around it because it's moving so fast faster than the air really wants it to go. <laughs> so it's starting to hold it back. You know, you're you're literally at the front edges of pushing what humans are capable to do with reality, right? So your mind is just blown all the time and spending those nights at 3 a.m. in the library when I finally um, started working with the people that I wanted to be like, or well, not to be like that had the same ideas that, that were after knowledge. And these were the people that were the most successful in classes. I mean, I learned so much from being around some of the most driven people that I've ever been around. Some of the the most favorite that I've ever hung out with have been, uh, the women in the aerospace industry. Oh my God. I mean, there are some brilliant young women that I've met um, that I, I I try and keep up with online and they're both doing incredible things. One is working on, uh, human rated systems for spacecraft, making sure that, um, when a human goes into that spacecraft, that all the systems work to, to make sure that they survive, you know? And, uh, the other one was just ripping the corporate structure apart, um, in a good way, like, like she was paving a path, 
um, just going up the corporate just a good person in a good smart intelligent person going up the corporate structure of a, of an aerospace company um and both these both these girls i mean they had their discipline down i mean that was the thing i learned from them was discipline was that okay you know it's not so much that they're any smarter than anybody else i think that was the most important thing i learned is it's not that they're any smarter than anybody else but they work smarter than anybody else. So they do more in their two hours of studying than most people do in like 12. You know, they just had it down and they knew how to crunch information. And, and more importantly, something that took me a long time to learn was learn what you need for the test so that you can move on to the bigger and better things, which is what they're doing now. They, they, they realized at some level that, this is just an ends to a mean, and I need to get through this and do the best I can so that I can do the really impressive stuff. For me, I didn't see it that far because this was this was a dream that I followed. I didn't have, um, I was unprepared, uh, as most people are for most of their dreams. Um, you know, I wasn't, I didn't go to a technical school. My public school system, uh, it wasn't awful, but I definitely was not prepared for the the 1% of engineering like schools you know just just craziness like this school is a very like just hearing the name people are like oh wow you went there and it's like yeah well i'm lots uh lots of debt but thanks uh yeah it was a lot of fun (laughs) so um yeah so i the, the discipline and working with them and those late nights uh i remember they were just there was a few classes where we had all we were all taking at the same time, and if if I could do it over again, I would schedule. I would have scheduled my classes to make sure that I was with the same people. You know, uh, do study groups with the same people. The, I got the most out of college and the most out of my education when I found a group that we all did homework, and there were rules. There were rules. Nobody copied each other's homework. And, but everybody helped with a different part. So basically, each person would pick up a different part of the, the, the homework that was very, very complicated. And each person learned that part extremely well and taught it to the whole group. And so we could tackle a, a homework and learn more from it than we could if we did it by ourselves. And that was an incredible, incredible thing. And I think that's something that that kind of mindset is what we need today to solve these problems. It's, it's what we need to create a culture in this country, in this world. Fuck the country. The world that we work to solve problems for humanity. You know? And I, I, I think if we, if we find our study groups, if we find the people that are like us, um, don't necessarily, and, and probably shouldn't have the same views as you, but you're both, you're, you're all going after the same thing. For me, I wanted to be around people who loved and wanted to be a part of the aerospace industry. Those are the people I found, you know, and I was right. They are. And I I was able to learn from them so much. And I hope I, they learned something from me, but if anything, you know, they're a big part of, why I'm doing this today. And, you know, now I have a, you know, what I learned from college, you know, I, I, I was definitely, uh, there, there's a bad side to, to the engineering mindset. Let's get real. There's a bad side. 
Um, it's, it's, it's extremely critical down to you will have a breakdown emotionally eventually. Like that's, that's how much it, it takes out of you. I mean, it is the most challenging career. It's one of the most challenging careers you can ever do is engineering. But the great thing is that is it is tremendously satisfying and gratifying and reinforcing when you succeed. And I think that's something we're missing in today's world is that, that let's go after it no matter what the odds are. Even if the people that are supposed to be the most intelligent for climate change say that it's impossible to reverse climate change. No, I'm sorry. We're going to fight that. We're going to question that. You know, that's what every human being has said before some great innovation was made. Now, maybe we need that. Maybe we need someone to say, I know it helps me. I know a lot of the biggest points in my life that I've found the strength and the courage to do it is when I've either told myself or someone else has told me I can't do it. So maybe they're doing us a favor. Maybe. Highly doubt it, though. Uh, we need to work on finding common ground with people so that we can be in a study group together. Right now, we're basically telling people, we're basically like moving all the desks in the classroom to either side and there's this giant gap in the middle and it's like you know well, we're all better together why can't we talk about this you know and and what's happening now is now people are moving away from those desks on the side now people are saying i don't want to be a part of this this is silly let's do something else and i hope that's uh that continues because there's a lot of opportunity out there to change the world right now more than there probably has ever been now the terrifying thing is that it's open for everybody. So, you know, how I really see 2017 for myself and the show and what we're doing is to grow. Um, that's, that's what 2017 is about here is, is we're going to grow and hopefully, uh, well, we will find where the, where we're doing the most good, where we're, um, having the best show, you know, and we're going to get into more ears and, Soon, once the YouTube channels are up, which are being worked on, will be in your face too. So we want to bring that engineering mindset of always be questioning. It's healthy. It's healthy. Um, I was going to go back to the engineering and what's bad of it, but really all it is it's it's really it's it's nonsense because it, it doesn't matter in the end game but in case you want to know it's just really critical and some people um that affects them and they start getting depressed you know they they uh they're way too critical even on themselves and so now they don't have they never succeed you know it's always a losing battle and that's that's the downside of 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 not properly having the right discipline with, with the engineering mindset is, is you can bury yourself in a hole mentally and uh, what you think of yourself too because it's so demanding and so challenging that if you don't look at it with a good mindset or a healthy mindset, 
uh, it'll bury you. I mean, that's why a lot of engineers are bald. Men are a lot of male engineers are bald. And why I think a lot of us are uh, overweight uh, for for extended periods of time because uh, the food, we find the solace in the food. It's so good. And it's our fuel too because we use our brains. And I think that's a big problem. Our brains use a lot of fuel. I was, I was thinking about this and I've gotten back into uh, making sure I have my, my workout scheduled because, you know, when you're just using your brain, I think that's why a lot of people who work at a desk, they, they eat is because they're, they're burning calories and, and they're, they need fuel, but they're not burning it where it counts. <laughs> they're burning it in like intellectual energy and not physical energy. So you just, you know, anyways, that's the downside. But there are plenty of good sides. And the great thing is, not everybody's an engineer, and you don't have to be. But if you at least understand and 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 really just take the philosophy, all, all you're really going to do is take the philosophy of it and always be questioning. Even if you don't know the answer, question it. And then if it really is something you want to look into further, look into it. We have the internet now. Like, we, we all have no excuse as far as what's possible. And And do yourself an extra favor and go find another website that has a different view, maybe politically, maybe whatever, and read that. And then come to your own decision on what's happening and and what it should be, because then you can have a discussion with somebody and it's real because now you have your own thought. So to answer how can engineering save the world, I think it's going to give all of us a, a greater sense of wonder and a greater sense of what can be. I mean, take the space industry. Take the space industry. What Elon Musk and the other entrepreneurs like Jeff Bezos, um, what they're doing to advance humankind, it's, it's going after a challenge that's statistically improbable. It's not going to happen. But going for it because it means something better, to, to live towards a fantastic future. And I think... Having those large goals and going through the trials and, and, and stress and all the emotions that go through going, creating something and, and, and doing the impossible like we did when we landed on the moon. Even if you don't believe, even if you're still a skeptic about what we did when we landed on the moon or if we landed on the moon, which I think is silly, but that's fine. You can have that uh, belief. As long as you acknowledge the fact that even the idea of the, of us landing on the moon, of, of standing on the moon, of, of putting our feet on another celestial planet body, a planetary body, right? That's achieving the impossible. And that makes everybody think that, they can do the same, that they can achieve the impossible. And you know what that does? That opens their mind to a whole fractal option cabinet of ideas that they never had before. They weren't even looking in that direction. But because now they've seen that we've achieved the impossible, we've taken pictures of Pluto with New Horizons, and we're going with Osiris-Rex to the asteroid Bennu to check and see the, you know, to take some, some of the material on the surface back because it is the ingredient of 
life in, in our universe. So if, if we take a piece of this, we'll figure out where we came from and maybe even where to look for other life similar to ours. That's the same conditions and materials, you know? Doing those type of things, finding water on Mars, um, landing on Mars, going to Mars, going back to the moon, actually working on how do we get humans into space and solving the problems of those while we have other people working on going to Mars. I mean, these are things that are are reality-changing and, and can really help us go to a new place as humankind. Uh, hopefully a better place. Definitely a grander place. Definitely a more interesting place. Definitely a more fantastic place. I mean, it is life. It's going to have its problems, but... I want to live in a fantastic future. I don't want to live in a future where we're constantly worried about uh, telling people who are too, too intelligent that they're too intelligent and they're making the people who aren't intelligent feel bad or the people who uh, just start off at a place lower than what we call standard and they basically get ignored because if you stick to that belief that the standard is, is everything, then they get left behind. Well, neither, neither of those things are good. We need to start focusing on solving the real problems. You know, and, and that example would be education, right? Educating all of the children and making sure that them as individuals grow and get better. And I actually, and what this came from is it was, there was an argument uh, with all this political stuff happening about education. And, and I, I have a... Uh, vested interest in it because I have family members, friends who are teachers. I eventually would love to teach. So education and, and education is everything for me. That's, that's why I'm here talking to you is my education. So I care about education. And, you know, one of the discussions came up between the idea of proficiency and, um, growth. And I, think we should focus on growth. I think we should focus on making sure that each kid, every kid, gets an education. Because from what I can tell, proficiency, or setting a standard and saying everyone must be here, well, that's bland. That's not fantastic. You don't get fantastic without the smartest people getting a good education. You don't get fantastic without people who originally never had a chance and now see an opportunity and, and can believe in themselves and, and actually feel like they can do good in the world and, and they, can, they can rise out of where they are. Those are the things that create a fantastic future. Not making sure that we all uh, fit inside some kind of bar or scale. And I think engineering, we, we won't have engineers if that's the case. We eliminate the possibility of engineers because... Right now, uh, the standard does not educate people to be engineers. So engineers wouldn't, wouldn't be a part of it, and we wouldn't be able to save the world. So, <laughs> so that's my point for this week, folks. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, as always, thank you for listening, and uh, I appreciate everybody who uh, reaches out. Uh, we did a Facebook Live uh, for the first time for the SpaceX launch. We'll talk about that next week's episode when we do uh, a news update. Uh, we got a lot to talk about with that. Um, 
Rest in peace, Gene Cernan. We'll go more into his life. Uh, the last human being to go to the moon, to step on the moon, to actually be standing on another celestial body. And he, dis- I, well, I, I, it was my, it's my opinion that he despised that or he did not like it enough that he dedicated his last days to making sure that he would never be the last person to be standing on another planet. So, another planetary body. Never mind the moon. So, I say let's look for... Well, first of all, um, rest in peace. Thank you for everything that you've done, and uh, I wish you Godspeed in the afterlife, or in in, in the, the metal world of wherever we end up, if we do. And I, I'm looking forward to a fantastic future. Uh, I, I'm looking very hopeful for things. And I'm looking hopeful for you guys. So uh, I, I wish you guys a great week. And we'll be back next week with more Today in Space. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, don't forget to spread the word. Uh, todayinspace.net. Don't forget to subscribe. And tell your friends. Tell your friends about us. Let's spread the word. Let's help get this growth going so we can help save the world, hopefully, one step at a time, one topic at a time. That's it. Spread love, spread science. Thank you. Have a great week.